and I live in, where our two college kids now spend most of their time outside of our house, uh, we've had to develop new um, hobbies. And uh, one is sitting on our back porch and looking at the stars. That's one of the favorite things that I love to do. And, uh, and this time of year is actually the best time of year to do it. I don't know if you recognize that. It, with lower humidity and that more dark hours in a day, it is a, a, an amazing time to stargaze. And for many of us, it provides a much-needed perspective about life in general. Uh, some addiction counselors would suggest that, uh, that stargazing helps those in recovery, that people who are dealing with uh, addiction problems tend to become self-obsessed just by na- the nature of fighting against that. And so we are encouraged by some that stargazing will get us outside of ourselves. And in some ways, I really believe that that's true. It helps us to feel connected to our creator. It gives us a sense that uh, our problems are near, not nearly as big as the God who created the world. And I love the idea that being out there in nature kind of helps us see things properly. It helps us to see who we are in relationship to creation. It helps us to see the magnitude of things. I was recently watching a Netflix special on comedians because that used to be a part-time hobby of mine. And and then I had to start a church and quit doing it. But that's beside the point. Um, One of the comedians in this special about whether comedians are miserable by nature uh, said this about... uh, our perspective on life. Comedian Paul Tompkins said, a healthy person probably looks around and says, the world is a wonderful place full of wonderful things. An unhealthy person says, I want people to think I'm one of the wonderful things. And this is at the angst of people who are in show business, people who are performers. We oftentimes, even those of us in ministry, do what we do because we want people to think we're important. Maybe you fit into that category today. Maybe you would say that you have an unhealthy interest in your own glory. Uh, my, picture, my favorite picture from space was actually taken from the other end, not from here to there, but from out there back to us. And it was taken by Michael Collins. Now, I don't know who, if you know who Michael Collins is. Raise your hand for me if you know who Michael Collins is. Oh, thank you. One hand out of the whole church. And this is one of the reasons Michael Collins is one of my heroes. Michael Collins was the pilot on Apollo 11. And while Buzz Aldrin and Neil Armstrong soaked up all the glory being the first men who walked on the moon, Michael Collins piloted the orbiter around the moon and was ready to pick them up and take them home. While he was traveling around the moon, (laughs) he took this picture, and it's interesting because I think it speaks to uh, why I am fond of Michael Collins, who is now a retired uh, major general in the United States Air Force. In this picture, it's the only picture of its kind in the history of the world, everyone who has ever lived or died is captured in this picture except for Michael Collins. It's a picture of earth, so that means anybody who's buried on earth, still living there, and anybody who was alive was in that little lunar module that you see. He's the only one 
in the history of mankind that is not in this picture. It's kind of mind-blowing when you think about it. But this is really what Paul, our teacher in 2 Corinthians, is saying to all of us, is that life is not supposed to be all about us. We are supposed to see things from this perspective. Now, this is the painful reality of people like myself. And I, and I, and I put myself out there, join me in the world of my brokenness if you, if you, if you wish to. I want to be the planet that is the center of the solar system by nature. I tend to think that the world revolves around me. Rock stars think that too. That's why they always have those jokes about how many uh, rock singers does it take to change a light bulb. Uh, Just one. He holds the light bulb and the entire world rotates around him. And this is the nature of uh, a lot of us. We would say that our primary instinct is to make everybody meet our needs, look to us. And what Paul is trying to communicate to the Corinthians at the summation of this letter that we've been studying all year is the reason he's doing what he's doing is because his life is focused on them and on God properly, God first, then them. And today we begin to study Paul's closing discourse in 2 Corinthians. He seeks to remind them why he's been enduring with them a difficult lot they were. Namely, he loves them. He knows what's best for them. He knows what God wants for them is best for them. And in spite of all of their accusations and the troublemakers who were in their church community making accusations about his motives to serve them, he's saying to them in our passage today, I'm really glad that people would think less of me because that means they'll think more of Jesus. He's really glad to not be the one that's the focal point of their faith because he isn't the focal point of their faith. One of my favorite sermon tools is a, a, a translation of the New Testament called The Message. And it, it's, it's really a narrative that was created by author Eugene Peterson, who was also a pastor. And so you read it alongside the scriptures. He wouldn't claim that it was a perfect thought-for-thought or word-for-word translation of the Bible. He's really trying to give us a picture of if the Bible was written by somebody in our day, how it would be phrased. And so, you know, at times it may be off the beaten path, but I've found that the book itself is a really good companion for my study of scripture because sometimes it helps me understand uh, what Paul was actually trying to say. And, and so I would like to read today's passage, again, from the message translation, and then I'll go ahead and take a look at it from the English Standard Version, which is our default translation here at Prism Church. But I, I want you to kind of hear Paul's heart and what he's saying to these people who he's had to scold from time to time, who he's had to kind of from time to time uh, use the authority God gave him to correct them and they haven't responded to it very well. I have said to a couple of you on a varying occasions, uh, and perhaps maybe even to our church before, but rare is it that somebody who is the object of an intervention thanks everybody for their time. You ever watched Intervention? Never once have I ever seen anybody on that television show say, and you know, you guys, you love me. I get it. Thank you for coming and talking to me about this. They, they're angry. They, they don't want to stop using the substance they're using, and they're embarrassed, and they're mad. And, and this is kind of how Paul's relationship with the Corinthians went. 
he would say, hey, listen, your behavior here is not pleasing to God. And they would throw a temper tantrum. And he's been down this road multiple times with them. And so this is what he would say. This is the beginning of three weeks we're going to spend looking at Paul's concluding remarks. And these are the first ones, verses 7 through 10 of 2 Corinthians 13. Let me read it from the message. But if it comes to that, we'd rather pass the test. We'd rather the test showed our failure than yours. We're rooting for the truth to win out in you. We couldn't possibly do otherwise. We don't just put up with our limitations. We, we celebrate them and then go on to celebrate every strength, every triumph of truth in you. We pray hard that it will all come together in your lives. I'm writing this to you now so that when I come, I won't have to say another word on the subject. The authority the master gave me is for putting people together, not taking them apart. I want to get on with it and not have to spend time on reprimands. Paul's overarching point in this first piece of chapter 13 is a summary of the defense of his ministry, which he's done from time to time and point and point in various places in 2 Corinthians. Paul is striving to be like Jesus, who is both gracious and truthful. He's honest and will tell you when something's a problem, but he does so in a way that is loving and reflective of the character of God. He has said difficult things to them, Paul has, but he has labored intensely to persuade them that his purpose in doing so was loving. And in his closing discourse, we can learn some really important things for us to remember as we follow Christ together in community. The purpose of a church is not just to have some place you come on Sundays to sing songs to Jesus, hear a message, and move along. Ideally, what we're hoping for is that people are going to connect with each other and be encouraged by what they hear, what we learn from each other about Jesus, about what we see in each other and our actions towards each other that validates and verifies things that we've been told are true about Jesus. So I have one overarching point today and then two sub-points. So for those of you who like to know uh, where we're going in the context of a message, we have one big point and then two real, I call them love tips underneath. You'll get to know where I'm going in a little bit. Our, our first overarching and really the only overarching point we have for today is this. And Paul was saying to them, our motive for the pursuit of truth is God's love for others. Our motive for the pursuit of truth is God's love for others. What he has been laboring to do with these Corinthians is get them to recognize what is true. He has an apostolic authority that gives him the right to say, Jesus has spoken to me. I'm relaying to you what he has told me by his Holy Spirit. And he has said that the most important thing for them to get to is what is really true about this situation. But what motivates him for doing this, what motivates the pursuit of this truth is God's love for them. And I'll read again now verses 8 through 10 from 2 Corinthians in the English Standard Version. For we cannot do anything against the truth, but only for the truth. For we are glad when we are weak and you are strong. Your restoration is what we pray for. For this reason, I write these things while I am away from you, that when I 
come, I may not have to be severe in my use of authority that the Lord has given me for building up and not for tearing down. As we all do, as we all are called, all we do is supposed to be for the glory of God and motivated by a growing comprehension of God's love, motivated to serve others and care for others and get involved in the things that either your friends or your church or someplace in your life, people that are saying, I'm more, I, I am a servant, the world is me, and I'm looking out at everybody else. That is how my perspective has to be. I have to be the Michael Collins of my world. I'm going to see everybody else, and I'm the only one not in the picture. Our motive for this can only be loving God. And this is Paul's essence. He's saying, I'm going to follow the pattern that Jesus has given for us and say that what I'm going to do is love God and love my neighbor as myself. And this is where Jesus said in Matthew chapter 22, verses 36 through 40, they came to him, teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And he said to them, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. We've been called, as were the Corinthians, as was Paul as a leader to the Corinthians, to love difficult people in difficult situations and to love them unconditionally. However, in order to love people like this, you and I have to have real clarity about the truth surrounding God's love for us. Um, I know for a fact that we can't love unconditionally if we have never been loved unconditionally ourselves. And if you're supposed to love your neighbor as yourself and you can't love yourself unconditionally as God loves you, it's going to be difficult for you to actually mirror that to other people. There is something that's an axiom in this that says that if you don't really get God's grace and love, you're, it's, it's almost impossible to demonstrate that. I talk about this when I do weddings, which I've been doing a lot of lately. And I say to people that the purpose of marriage is to reflect the glory of God to your spouse. And the only way you can do that is to actually see Jesus so that you know what you're supposed to be reflecting. And if you don't have his love pouring into your soul on a daily basis, you're going to forget that you're actually supposed to be demonstrating his unconditional love to your spouse and not done based on what they can do for you or how well they performed. And my wife has been really good at loving me unconditionally. I can say that with great confidence. Me, on the other hand, not so much. Uh, she has far exceeded my capacity for that because I think she knows the Lord in a really meaningful way, in a way that I would like to know. I would like to know. I envy the comfort level she has with how much God loves her. My discovery... I say this too today with regards to our motive for doing truth pursuit being the love of people. I discovered theology related to God's grace in an environment with a bunch of folks who come from the Protestant Reformed tradition. And one of the things that they would always come up to you and ask you about was whether or not you were Reformed. And the way they said it made me want to smack them. Um, because uh, it was just offensive to me. Uh, there was something about their demeanor that communicated that they thought they had it all together and they were going to look down their nose at me who wasn't very theologically informed. And I determined at that point that I just wasn't ever going to be that guy if I could help it. But I did come to a place of learning to embrace 
some of the theology and most of the theology of some of those people that I found so agitating. And the reason was not because they argued me into truth, but because the truth themselves were the means of me discovering that God loved me more than I could have imagined. You see, it was God's love, not my zealous pursuit of truth or getting in the octagon of intellectual discussion and, and hammering out. Some people are made that way. I'm not. What caused me to say this is something that is meaningful to me, this is truth that is meaningful to me, was when I began to understand that it was really about God helping me to see his glory and his grace in greater dimensions. It was God's love that won me. And it was that discovery that propelled me into ministry like a rocket ship leaving a launch pad to head for the moon. And it's something you have to experience for yourself or you will never have the juice it takes to continue in the faith. On that note, um, I have to ask you a question. How many degrees of separation are there between you and someone who has landed on the moon? It's your trivia question for today. Think about it over chili if you'd like. Um, in other words, okay, do you know somebody, have you ever shook hands with, talked to somebody who has walked on the moon? Do you know somebody who has? See, that would be two separations. I just want you to know that in spite of how my chili might do today, I win this contest because on a flight five years ago, back from speaking at a camp in, in, a, in Washington, D.C., I met Buzz Aldrin and was obnoxious enough to actually ask him to take a picture with me. Now, Buzz, known perhaps in this generation most as a bad contestant on Dancing with the Stars, but in my generation, he was the second man who ever walked on the moon. So you can see we're touching, and so therefore I win. Thank you very much. Because <laughs> you can't get it, other than being on the moon, you can't get any closer to that in terms of your degrees of separation. One thing's for certain. doesn't matter if I touched Buzz Aldrin. doesn't matter if Buzz Aldrin pacified me with a photo. Um, I've never been to the moon. I cannot describe what he can describe. It's not part of my experience. All I can do is sort of secondhand say, Buzz, tell me, which was more fun, being on the moon or dancing with the stars? And I actually did ask him that, which is kind of really silly. <laughs> no, I asked him, what, did people ever ask him that? And he said yes and, and then told me to leave him alone. So um, <laughs> you cannot learn secondhand the love of God. You have to know that. If you do not have in your heart a sense of God's grace towards you, it will be impossible for you to do what Paul is doing here, which is at times speaking truth that may be actually painful for people to hear and yet love them while you're doing it. it it's not possible to, to talk about things that are true yet painful if in, deep in your heart you don't believe that when that's happened to you, God has been particularly gracious to you. So I have a couple of tips that I want to give. Now remember, our, our overarching theme is our motive for the pursuit of truth is God's love for others. I have just two thoughts. I call them love tips. These are two things that you can do, we can do for each other as we progress in this world of caring for each other and emulating the life of Jesus and what Paul would say has been his pattern for ministry, that the, the ministry of love, the ministry of grace and truth 
All right, and so my love tip number one is this, and I see this from Paul's life and from our passage today, specifically verse 9, and this is it. Holistic humility precedes helping others. Holistic humility precedes helping others. Paul says this in verse 9, For we are glad when we are weak and you are strong. Your restoration is what we pray for. Paul is actually celebrating his weakness. He's celebrating that they are strong because it means that God has actually begun to work in their lives. He's not upset with the criticisms and the accusations because it threatens his well-being. He's concerned that they're going to lose connection with the grace of God that he taught and preached to them in the first place. Paul doesn't mind not being viewed as their source of strength because he knows he is not. This is what's always going to happen with a cult leader and some of the people that were working their way into the Corinthian churches. They're always going to put themselves in the place of being the necessary mediator between you and God. And Paul is saying that would be false. You don't need me. You don't need anybody else. You need Jesus. So anytime you run up against somebody that tells you you shouldn't leave their church because you're just not going to make it without them, or you meet somebody who's crazy enough to say that they are really the connection between you and God, you need to go ahead and distance yourself from them. And that includes televangelists for that matter. I would say that Paul has humbly approached the accusations and criticisms of these people whom he has served. This is the goal of the mature Christian, to make Jesus' work seen in our sacrifices, to make Jesus' work seen in the things that we do or the things that we teach. the, The genuine believer isn't wanting to be seen. They want Jesus to be seen. They they almost want to be a filter, or in our case, a prism through which Jesus is seen. They want Jesus to be the one who people look back to and say, you know what, Jesus changed my life, not that church, not that person. Paul said earlier in the 2 Corinthians letter that Jesus had told him, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, this is Paul speaking, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I'm content with weakness, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. And Paul was saying to the Corinthians, the reason I am doing all of this is not so that I can, like, build myself a tower and platform and everybody can be impressed with me. I'm doing this so that you will see Jesus. This is why I do what I do, so that you can look past me. And so if it takes me being weak to help you see his strength, fine. That's why I rejoice when we're weak and you're strong, because that enables Jesus to work in your life. And the reason you're experiencing this strength is because somehow through this you've actually seen him. It's a rare thing to find somebody that is willing to be that humble. But we're called to be that not just culturally in the people we interact with at work or in the neighborhood or within our families, but as a church, we're called to demonstrate that kind of humility to one another. C.S. Lewis said this, To even get near humility, even for a moment, is like a drink of cold water to a man in a desert. 
Do not imagine that if you meet a really humble man, he will be what most people call humble nowadays. He will not be a sort of greasy, smarmy person who is always telling you that, of course, he is nobody. Probably all of you will think about him is that he seemed a cheerful, intelligent chap who took a real interest in what you said to him. If you do dislike him, it will be because you feel a little envious of anyone who seems to enjoy life so easily. He will not be thinking about humility. He will not be thinking about himself at all. So we have to ask, when we're dealing with people who are difficult, whether it's at church, whether it's at home, whether it's at work, is can we say what Paul said and that we're glad when we're weak and they are strong? Their restoration into relationship with Christ is what we're really, really hoping for. Holistic humility will precede our ability to help each other or help others. Here's the second love tip I have for you under this overarching banner of all of our pursuit of truth being for, about God's love for others is that God's gifts are for growing others. God's gifts are for growing others. This is the reason he has given you the gifts he's given you. They're for other people. Verse 10, he says, The authority that the Lord has given me for building up and not for tearing down. Now, Paul's gift was, his authority was as an apostle. That means he got to speak the actual words of Jesus to the first century church along with the other apostles, confirmed by the other apostles. Paul did this and didn't take it lightly. He saw that authority in such a way that it humbled him and frightened him. And he says that the purpose of it is to, the reason I have this gift is to build you up, not to walk around tearing people down and asserting my own power. Paul is saying that while at times the purpose of apostolic authority is to awaken the sleeping Christian with the thunder of God's discipline, which is mentioned in Hebrews chapter 12, He would, though, prefer and probably sees the primary purpose of teaching the truth as a means of building the believer up in their faith. Paul wants to love them by imparting truth so that they can grow in their faith. You see, understanding more about the character and holiness of God only serves to assist us in being more amazed by who he is and more overwhelmed with gratitude for the salvation he's offered In Christ to all who believe. Look at what Paul wrote to the Thessalonian church. He said, For God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, so that whether we are awake or asleep, we might live with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up, just as you are doing. He wrote to the Romans in the conclusion of his letter to them. We who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good to build him up. For Christ did not please himself, but it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. The reason all of us are given different gifts is to serve each other in the body of Christ. Paul was an apostolic ministry, but yours might be serving the poor. So get involved with our churches. This year begins to take new steps for caring for the needy in our community. Maybe your gift is longing to pray. 
And you can join with some of us who gather together on the third Friday night of each month for our fire starter prayer meeting, and we just intercede for the people of our church. We do that to build up the body. Perhaps you enjoy teaching children or playing music or heading up fellowship gatherings or being a community group leader or maybe cleaning up is your thing. If it is, Bonnie James will love you at least for a day, okay? (laughs) Whatever your gift might be, God has given you that gift so that you would serve others. Whatever your particular gift or calling, the end goal is that others would see and know that Jesus is the one behind the scenes that is caring for them and loving them. It's funny, I, I was thinking recently about a, a, a phenomenon that happens as people study the stars and as people look to the heavens. And it was more prevalent in the 20th century, particularly in the early part of the 20th century, Uh, when they were creating rocket technology and when we had two world wars going on, there was an uptick in UFO sightings. Um, We did not have the communication venues that we have now. Not everybody carried with them a a camera, effectively, in their hand with their phone. So when somebody would say, you know, I was out in the desert and I saw this thing and it flew across the sky with great light and then disappeared, you know, they would assume it was a UFO. And in the 1940s, when they were testing all these things for World War II and beyond, um, they they were seeing uh, unbelievably high numbers of UFO reports. And always from California and Arizona, incidentally, which either says this is where all the military bases are or we've got more crazy people out here, one of the two. But lo and behold, last night, such an event took place. The headline read this this morning on CNN. Mystery light freaks out Southern California. What's new? California is getting freaked out a lot, especially when it rains. Haven't figured that one out yet. Don't drive in the wet. Oh, no. Panic and speculation, CNN wrote, spread Saturday night. This is last night. When a bright light shot through the night skies in Southern California... Residents posted a flurry of videos on social media together with theories of aliens and meteors. Others made panic calls to law enforcement officials. But not to worry, U.S. military officials said it was a planned missile test. The Navy Strategic Systems Programs held a scheduled missile test at sea from the USS Kentucky, which is a ballistic missile submarine. The test was conducted off of the coast of Southern California And the Pentagon said in a statement, the missile was not armed. Isn't that comforting to know? (laughs) I I was thinking about earlier in the week when I was thinking about UFOs in general, and, and it is that there is something in all of us that longs to know that there is a grander purpose for our lives than just walking around pursuing pleasure or power or some kind of position. And... I'm fairly confident that those who are really obsessed with the idea that there's, you know, intelligent life out there in the universe, the, the reason for that is it gives them a sense of purpose. And you may be here today and you say, what's wrong with that? I said, nothing. We all long for purpose. We all long to know. Why are we here? There's something in all of us that wants to know that we have a life that actually matters. 
And so Paul's purpose in 2 Corinthians and really all of Scripture is to point us to God, that we will understand life better when we see and know the Creator who made us. Things will begin to make sense, not all the time. Life is difficult, and there are struggles involved with it. But the purpose of Paul's teaching in this whole book of 2 Corinthians is that you and I would recognize that all of the events of our lives, even the things that seem random, are planned. They're purposed for a reason. Last night, people freaked out, thought UFOs were coming or the end of the world or something. You should read online. It's pretty creative. It's comforting to know that there was an actual plan behind all that that somebody knew what they were doing, that there isn't this random chaos happening in the world, that even the things that are difficult for us to comprehend are part of God's economy and helping you and I to know him better. I would pray that you and I would have the, the sense, really the joy of knowing that God loves us and that he is orchestrating and overseeing and that we would rejoice with Paul, that as we are learning truth and discovering new things in the Word of God, that they're helping us to see and build confidence in who he is and what he wants and how he wants us to know him so that we can rest and rest in him alone. We're going to have a time of prayer and then communion this morning. And for you, communion today might be a time where you're just saying, I want to reconnect with you that my eyes and my heart have been on other things other than God. And today could be the moment when you say, you know what, I've been running and I'm done. For some, you've never really prayed and said, Jesus, I'd like you to come into my life. And by coming to the communion table today, because the communion table is for believers in Jesus, you are effectively going to tell your neighbors and friends, I have trusted in Christ. This is your moment to stand and say, I'm with Jesus. I'm following him. So let's pray together today that this time in the sacrament of communion would be incredibly, incredibly joyful and a sense of peace would come over you and others. Why don't you bow your heads with me this morning? Today, Father, we're amazed by your kindness and, as always, marveling at how you have demonstrated nothing but kindness and grace to us. Today, many of us have to confess to you that our minds haven't been fixed on things above, but rather consumed with our earthly things. And so, even as we come to the table this morning to remember what you've done for us, Jesus, we want to take a few minutes to confess to you that we have that we have been distracted from finding life in you that we have been distracted from discovering peace in you father for the time that we'll spend in communion i pray for your blessing